Jesus is known not just for the statements he made, but for the questions he asked. Questions that challenge the religious and those who feel far from God. Questions that reveal his purpose and his plan. Questions that cut to the heart of our beliefs, our motives, and our identity. I wonder, how will you answer the questions Jesus asked? Well, hello, friends. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King. Uh, if you're joining us online, welcome. And if you're here in the room, welcome. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at the nearest person to you. And I want you to say, the Mariners are still in the playoffs. Dance in advance. Thank you, Jesus. Our cup overflows. Indeed, you are a good and gracious God. Well, if you're just joining us, this is our second week in this series that we're calling Red Letter Questions, where we're exploring the questions that Jesus asked when he walked and he talked and he took on human form and did ministry. And so what's so important and what's so interesting about these questions is that Jesus didn't ask them because he actually needed help understanding something. He actually asked each one of these questions because there was something that he wanted us to understand. There was actually a gift that he wanted to give that's inside each of these questions. And today what I want to do is have a conversation with you about a conversation Jesus had with a couple blind men in Matthew chapter 20. And so if you've got a Bible or an app, you can pull that out. If not, you can just read along on the screen or just listen. So again, this is Matthew chapter 20. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to stay quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called out to them. So what do you want me to do for you? This is our question this week. What do you want me to do for you? got the king of kings and lord of lords and he's standing before these blind men and he says what do you want me to do for you lord they answered we want our sight and jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him so the question is what do you want me to do for you but before we dive into the question i just want to pray for us holy spirit Thank you for this space. Thank you for these people. God, thank you that you are more than the God of answers. You're the God of questions. God, you're the God who asks. You are the God who goes first. You are the God who's reaching out to us even today, saying, what do you want me to do for you? God, I'm so thankful that that's the kind of God that you are, that you are a servant king, that you are actually leaning towards us, outstretched with your grace and love even here as we sit. And God, we just pray that today we would just get a small taste. God, we would be reminded of your goodness because I just fully believe that if we can just see you a little more clearly, God, that is going to transform who we are and what we do, God, and your trajectory for Whatcom County and the world. So Jesus, we say, use us. We don't want to leave here the same. We want to be moved and transformed into your image and your likeness. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and the boldness to do what you call us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen and amen. What do you want me to do for you? So 
So I started dating my wife about a decade ago, which is crazy, uh, but I would always remember, I was thinking back on the first summer that we spent together, and honestly, I remember it because I was just so smitten and taken with her. I honestly couldn't figure out why she was giving me the time of day, and even to this day, it still makes no sense. Anyone else in here just marry like way up? No, two of us. And so just so that you know how quickly you raised your hand is also very much proportionate to how your drive's gonna go on the way home. Just saying. But all of that to say it was my first summer with Kristen and I spent half of it apart from her. I went up to Alaska and I was commercial fishing with uh, my best friend Jacob on the FV night shift. That's the name of the boat that we were on. It's this pretty little bow picker for those of you who know what that means. And anyway, we were spending a couple weeks over in Esther Island picking dogs and we decided to head back to Cordova, which is my hometown, to stock up on supplies. And we heard that there was a storm that was coming, but we thought that we could get there before the storm hit. But about halfway home, the wind started picking up and the waves started to crash and the fog started to roll in. And it was so thick that all that we could see was a sea of waves that just kept growing and growing and growing. And that was fine. That's not a big deal because we had a nav system that told us exactly where we were and how deep the water was that we were in. So that's not a big deal. Plus, we were both believers. So we were talking about 2 Corinthians 5, 7, where it says we walk by faith, not by sight. Who needs it? I don't care if there's a little bit of fog. I got God on my side. I can see clearly no matter what the world around me looks like. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Amen. I'm saying it to myself. That scripture served me really, really well right up until the moment that the nav system failed. And we were stuck out of the middle of God knows where, and we couldn't see the land because of the fog, and we didn't know where we were because there was no nav system, and we couldn't figure out how deep the water was because we had lost that ability. And it felt like we were sitting ducks, and the wind was whipping up against the night shift like you wouldn't believe it was a scene out of a movie, and the fog just kept creeping thicker and thicker around us on every side, and every time that another wave would break over our bow, more of the things that were supposed to be in the drawers in the cabinets would pour out onto our cabin floor. And I remember looking at Jacob in this moment, and I was just thinking, this is not good. This is not where I want to be right now. This is not how I thought my story was going to end. Like this is legitimately, there's a possibility that this could end very poorly for us. And we were about to lose cell service, so I decided to call my girl just in case things got worse instead of better. I wanted to have, you know, at least a final, like, I love you that I would throw to her. And we talked for a minute, and she could hear the waves crashing behind me because she said, is everything okay? And without even blinking, I started lying to her, and I said, of course, sweetheart, everything's good. Just wanted to hear your voice. Just wanted to let you know that we might be out of cell service for a little bit, and I didn't want you to worry. So I love you. Then I hung up the phone. And when I look back, I think it's so crazy because everything was bad, everything was broken, everything was sketchy, everything was scary, everything was dangerous. And when my girl asked me if everything was okay, instead of being honest, I responded with an emphatic, everything's great. Everything's good on this end, couldn't be better. We're having an awesome time out here, definitely not in grave danger. I mean, sure, maybe we're 10 miles off course and the waves feel like they're gonna crash through the windows and beat us to a pulp. And yes, I did just peel myself a little bit back there, but we're great. Everything's good. I just want you to know as loudly as I can that you can rest at ease because I've got things under control. We are fine. 
And the louder I got, the more certain I knew that that was not the case. And I look back on that moment and it makes me wonder, why is it that we feel such enormous pressure to pretend to be fine even when we're not? I, I thought, why is there such enormous pressure to pretend that we're okay when things are not okay? And I wish it was just my wife that I lied to, but I've probably lied to some of you. Like if there's a bad week and you say, how are you doing? And I just go into auto drive. I say, I'm good. Everything's good. Kids are good. Life's good. God's good. Keep on busy. God bless you. And then it's on to the next one. And somehow this is what we've decided to do with our interactions instead of actually engage with one another. We just say, I'm good. Everything's good. It's fine. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, when was it and what is it about our culture that's made us believe that we have to put on this facade of fine? Like, what is it about all of this that's made us believe that this is the best way that we can engage with one another? Instead of diving deep, we just keep it shallow. We say everything's good and keep on moving. And yet this is what we do, isn't it? The harder things get, the harder we work to make sure everyone knows that we're fine. I can't speak for you, but for me, I'm just being honest, it's exhausting. And I'll say it one step further, it's not what God intended for us. This is not what we were created to do with one another. And that's why I love this scripture in Matthew 20, because it actually shows us something different. And as ironic as it may be, these blind men can see so clearly their need for Jesus. They're literally screaming from the side of the road, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds try to shut them up, but they just scream all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And I'll be honest, that's the part of the story that stuck with me this week. It wasn't the healing. It was the willingness of the blind men to admit that they needed help. And isn't that interesting? Doesn't that tell us something about our culture and where it's gotten that in a story about a miraculous healing of a blind man, it's not the blind man receiving his sight, it's the fact that somebody would actually admit their need for God that actually stood out. This is where we are in culture right now. For some reason, we've decided to put the wool over our eyes and just decide to say all the louder, I'm fine, and hope that nobody realizes that we're not. Jesus is standing in front of you today and he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? And what I really wanna do is spend some time today looking at why Jesus asked this question and then I wanna talk about two reasons why it's so hard for us to answer it. And so first things first, why did Jesus ask this question? Because honestly, in the context, it feels a bit odd because Jesus could clearly see that these men were blind and Jesus could clearly see that these men wanted to be healed and Jesus could clearly see what it was that they wanted and yet instead of immediately giving them what they wanted, Jesus instead asked a question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And I'll be honest, when I read it, I'm like, come on, Jesus, read the room, dude. It's called context clues. I'm pretty sure you invented them. Like, like, use your God powers and figure it out. There's two blind men on the side of the road asking for help. Are you really going to make them spell it out? Haven't they been through enough? Like, come on, Jesus. 
feels like the wheel of fortune when every letter's been filled in except for one. It's like, are you really not going to guess what the answer is, Jesus? But he says, what do you want me to do for you? And this is so important for us to understand when Jesus asks us this question, it's not because he needs to hear the answer, it's because you do. It's because I do. In this story, it's because they needed to hear the answer to that question. Because sometimes in life, when we live with a need for long enough, we start to lose our ability to believe that things can be any different. And sometimes in life, we lower our expectations because it becomes too painful to live a life that feels like we're in constant disappointment. And when I think about this topic, I think about this um, quote from the the movie Dodgeball, which is a theological masterpiece. Um, And it's Peter Lafleur who like is the owner of the average Joe's gym. And he's kind of talking about his life philosophy, his rule of life. He's saying, this is what I'm about right here. He says, well, I've found that if you have a goal, you might not reach it. But if you don't have one, then you're never disappointed. And I got to tell you, he says, it feels phenomenal. And this is what we do. We live lives where we actually bring our expectations down so that we don't get disappointed. And while it's true that that mindset might save you from some of life's disappointments, it's also true that it will, it will rob you of life's greatest moments. It will rob you of what God truly wants you to become. Because life requires risk. It requires perseverance and grit. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want you to say it out loud. I want you to be specific. I want you to remember what it is that you want. I remember to actually hear the words coming out of your mouth. What do you want me to do for you? They reply and they say, Lord, we want our sight. And Jesus has compassion and touches their eyes. And immediately they receive their sight and follow him. You see, Jesus wanted to restore more than their sight. He actually wanted to restore their ability to dream. Their ability to to actually have expectations that the way things are now aren't the way that they are always going to be. And I feel like this is some of us today. Some of us have stopped asking Jesus for breakthrough because we got tired of waiting. Some of us have stopped asking for miracles because we got tired of holding on to hope. And if that's you today, Jesus is saying, I need you to remember the dream that I put on your heart. I need you to say it out loud. I need you to take a chance and a risk. I need you to keep knocking at the door because scripture says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And God sent me here today to tell you that your story is not finished just because you haven't gotten your miracle yet doesn't mean that it is not on the way. I need you to keep knocking. I need you to keep asking. I need you to keep seeking because those who seek are the ones who will find. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, Do you have faith and expectation that God can make good on his promises? He says, what do you want me to do for you? a hard question for us. And with the rest of our time, I really want to talk about two reasons why it's such a hard question for us to answer. And the first reason is simple. First reason is that we don't like to admit that we're broken. We don't like to admit that we're broken. Another way that you could say it is we're too busy projecting perfection. 
Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And a lot of us, our, our response would be nothing. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm better than good. I'm great. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Even though it feels like everything's on fire and I'm in completely over my head. I need everyone to not only see that I'm fine. I want you to hear that I am fine. I'm doing okay. I am strong all on my own. This is what we do. We don't want people to know that we're hurting. We don't want people to know that we're broken. We don't want people to know that we're anxious. So instead of being honest about our brokenness, instead we pretend that it doesn't exist and we post pictures that make people believe that everything's good and we curate and we stick filters and we write captions about our life to help control the narrative so that we don't actually have to look at the truth. That even though I say I'm fine, there's parts of me that are not fine. There's parts that are in duress and I actually need We give people exactly what we think that they want. But here's the tragedy. There's this incredible quote from Donald Miller in his book, Scary Close. And he says, sometimes the story that we're telling the world isn't half as endearing as the one that lives inside of us. He says, sometimes the story that we tell the world isn't half as endearing as the one that's living inside of us, which is to say that oftentimes the parts of your life that you're trying the hardest to hide are the parts that have the most potential to connect us together. Isn't that just like God? He's saying it's in the struggles and the anxiety and the woundings and the doubts and the confusion and the shame and the failures that we find our commonality and we find our humanity. And in the irony of all ironies, all of the things about ourselves that we think will drive people away are actually the things with the most potential to knit us together in love. Isn't our God powerful? That the brokenness is the thing that he uses to knit us together and minister to one another. But we can't do it if we just pretend. Friends, I need you to hear this. If you want help, stop pretending you don't need any. Because it's really hard to find healing when you spend your entire life hiding the parts of your life that need to be healed. Jesus says you can't have it both ways. You can either hide or you can be healed. And if you want to be healed, there has to be a moment where you admit that you're broken. And in Luke 18, there's this incredible parable that shows us what this can look like. It says two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Gotta read that last verse again. It's just too, too powerful. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the kingdom of God that we're invited into. I was reading this and thinking, isn't it funny? Because oftentimes it's the people who haven't figured out how to talk to God in a way that sounds pleasing to the ears who are actually able to communicate to God's heart. 
Sometimes it's all of our verbiage and it's all of our vernacular and it's all of the things that Christians say that get in the way of us actually having an honest conversation with God. You know, it's this Pharisee, he knows all the religious talk, but somehow the religious talk has kept him from having an honest conversation with God. And this other one says, forgive me for I am a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. So important to remember, just because something looks spiritual doesn't mean it's spiritual. Just because something sounds spiritual doesn't make it spiritual. Just because somebody has an eloquent prayer doesn't mean that it's an effective prayer. Jesus says, I don't care what your prayers sound like. I don't care how tidy your house is. I don't care how impressive your life looks like from the outside. Here's what I really want to know about you. Are you willing to be real with me? Are you willing to admit the needs that you have in your life? He's standing before you. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Because I can't help if you spend all of your time pretending to be fine. Pretending that everything's good. That's actually the thing that's getting in the way of us doing any work. It's the fact that you can't admit that you're broken. Second reason we have a hard time answering that question is this. We love to fix things ourselves. We live in a culture where self-reliance and self-care and self-sufficiency are all virtues that get held up and celebrated. And I've been finding that it actually starts at a really young age. We've got a two-year-old named Addison and she's like little Miss Independent. She is the cutest thing you've ever seen. But for the last six months, her favorite words have been the words, I do by self. She says, I do by self. Trying to put her shirt on the other day. She said, uh-uh, I do by self. I was getting her snack ready. She said, uh-uh, she opens the fridge herself. She said, I do by self. Tried to buckle her in her seatbelt. I do by self. It's so funny. She was at the last service and she was across uh, in the family room. And at the time that this was happening, this part of the story, uh, my wife, Kristen, was peeling an orange and she had a full on breakdown because she said, no, 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 mama, I do by self. So this is like what we're living in. It takes her five times as long to do it, but that's fine, whatever. Like she's learning, she's getting in her reps, like I'm into it. But if it stopped there, it would be great. It would be worth celebrating. But there is also, there are also strong desires that she has to do all sorts of things that are not particularly safe or beneficial to her well-being in any way. For example, the other day I walked into our kitchen and found her on top of our counter, reaching up on her tiptoes all the way into the cupboard to try and grab something. And she was inches away from calamity. So what happens is she has this little stool that she uses to brush her teeth. And she found out she could bring her stool out into the living room, place it next to the garbage can. Then she gets up on her stool and then up under the garbage can, then up under the counter. And then she just has a party up there. <laughs> so she was up on the counter having a party. I said, Addie, what in the world are you doing on the counter? And she looked at me with the biggest smile. She said, I do myself. And I said, sweetheart, you know you are not supposed to be on that counter. And daddy's going to help you get down. And I picked her up and I put her back on solid ground because that's what a good dad does. And the whole time she was kicking and screaming and she was just yelling her battle cry. She said, I do myself. I do myself. I do myself. And I said, uh-uh, girl, you do not do myself. You do not do myself. This is what happens like when people spend time together, you start talking like them. I was hoping she would start talking like me, but I've started to talk like her. I say, you do not do by self, Addie. You do not do by self. Like, don't get me wrong, sweetheart. I love your tenacity. 
It's going to serve you well in life. You're going to be a world changer. But I need you to know this. There are certain things in this life that you should not do by self. There's certain things that you need to ask for help. There's certain places and spaces and there's certain problems that if you go after by self, you are going to make them worse. End of sentence. You got to learn when to ask for help. She just says, I do by self. I think this is what we do with God. We're like a bunch of toddlers saying, I do by self. God's saying, let me help you. And we say, I do by self. Say, I don't need your help. I've got self-help. We're saying, I don't need your spirit. I just need to try a little harder. It's like the Nike gospel. I've just got to do it. And that's fine and dandy on home projects. You can YouTube and you can DIY all day. That's good. But when it comes to the matters of the soul, there's no amount of self-help that can ever get you where you need to go. You need to recognize that there are some things that we are not supposed to do by self. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And if we're being really honest, what we, what we want is to be strong enough to do it on our own. Because then we can control. Friends, I know that you're trying to be strong. And that's good. That's great. That's helpful in its time. But I need you to remember that scripture says that when I am weak, then I am strong. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, this is one of my favorite scriptures. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, say this with me, church, then I am strong. I want to ask you a question this week, church. How's that going? How is delighting in your weaknesses going? Are you like praising God for your hardships this week? Are you praising God that there's things about your life that are not what they should be? And that's actually meant to be a reminder that you need God's help. Are you praising God or are you trying to shove them under the rug? Because here's what you need to know. One of the coolest things about the God that we worship is that it says his power is made perfect in weakness. Which means that if there's things that you're covering up, if there's things that you're trying to put a filter over, if there's things that you're trying to hide, you're completely missing the point of what Jesus came to do. He didn't choose you because you have everything perfect. He didn't choose you because you're strong. He didn't choose you because you don't have massive shortcomings. He chose you because he loves you. And he chose you knowing all the things that he knew that you would do and had done and are doing. And there's nothing about you that surprises him. There's nothing about you that actually scares him. He said, I knew it all. I know it all. I picked you. And here's what a lot of us need to know. I would pick you again right here as you sit. Right in the middle of whatever it is that you're wrestling with. I just need you to drop the act and say, I need your help. I need you to stop saying, I do myself and say, God, I need your help. Is anyone thankful today that that's the God that we worship? So I was asking Kristen last night, and I was asking her if she appreciated the fact that I'd lied to her about the severity of the storm that I was in all those years ago. 
And much to my surprise, I, I thought I was doing it for her, you know, but as much to my surprise, she said, absolutely not. I'd much rather know what you're actually going through. Friends, I want you to know you're not doing anybody any favors by pretending that you're good. The things you're trying to hide are actually the things that were meant to connect us. You're not doing God any favors by pretending that you're fine. He's asking, will you let me in? Will you be honest with me? You're not doing the world any favors by pretending that everything's okay when it's not. We're actually called to do this together and to invite God into the mess. First Timothy four says, do not neglect your gifts which have been given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid hands on you. Be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them. And here's what I want you to see, so that everyone can see your progress. So that everyone can see your progress. Here's what I want you to see. So we live in a culture that celebrates perfection. We live in a culture that celebrates peak performance. But God has actually invited us to be a people who celebrate progress, who actually celebrate the process that each one of us is currently on, which means that if we're going to be that type of a people, we need to start letting people know that we're not finished products. And so what does that look like? It means that we're called to be the type of people who let people see the behind the scenes footage, the messy house, the kids who bite, the social anxiety, the constant insecurity, and the moments of very real doubt. That's not for you to just wrestle with in private. That's something for you to wrestle with together, with people and with God. Because here's the truth. Nobody can see God transform you if you act like there's nothing in your life that needs to be transformed. Say that one more time. Nobody can see God transform you if you act like there's nothing in your life that needs to be transformed. Paul's telling us the best, give that we can, the best gift that we can give to our friends and our families in this world isn't some fictionalized version of who we wish we were. It's actually showing them an actual picture of who we are right now so that when God actually has progress and we actually go through the process and he strengthens us, they can see that progress. His word says, my grace is sufficient for you. It says, my power is made perfect, not in your strength, but in your weakness. And Jesus is standing before today and he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? And if it's me, I'm answering that question by saying, God, help me to be like that. Help me to drop the act and let people in. Help me to be like the blind man who could care less what the other people thought. They were just painfully aware of the fact that they needed help and they knew that they were in proximity to one who could help. And so they yelled out. They were completely just unaware or just not encumbered by the fact that people could hear what they were saying. They, they tried to make them quiet, but they yelled out all the more, Jesus, would you help me have mercy on my life? God, I want you to help me to stop pretending to be further along than I really am. And help me to be brave in my brokenness so that other people can see your kindness that is on my life. So what about you? This week, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is asking you a question. What do you want me to do for you? And he has a couple things that he wants you to do. He says, will you say it out loud? I want you to tell me again. I, I want you to be specific. 
I want you to remember the dreams that you might have let go of a long time ago because you were tired of holding on. He says, I am so good that your story is not finished. I just need you to keep on asking and seeking and knocking. I want you to be persistent with me because I have been persistent with you. Amen. Amen. What do you want me to do for you? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, again, I'm just so in awe of the fact that this is the God that you are, that you came into the world as a servant. God, that you bore our sin. God, not because you deserved it, but God, because you didn't deserve it, God, so that you could give us what we didn't deserve, which is life, which is love, which is eternity with you. God, I thank you that you're the God of questions. So God, as we ask this question today, would you allow us to actually see what it is that you're calling us to be? God, what are you inviting us to see about our need today? God, would you remind us of the dreams that you've placed in our hearts? Would you remind us, God, of the things that we let go a long time ago that you're not done with yet? God, increase our faith. Will we be a people of expectancy that know that just because you're blind doesn't mean that you need to stay blind, God, because you are the God of miracles. You are the God who is able. You are the God who's willing. And God, you are the God who's for us, whose love is always outstretched towards us and whose grace is over us. That's the God you are. And today we say thank you. We love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen, church. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to actually respond. And so this week, again, this isn't just some exercise that we talk about. I'm asking you, will you wrestle with this question? Even today, what do you want me to do for you today? What do you want Jesus to do for you today? Friends, I need you to actually get in touch with what do you need in this moment? Maybe your whole life is a mess and you're like, God, I I don't even know. I just need you here. Maybe there's something specific that you've been praying for and he's saying, ask again, seek again, knock again. And so I'm asking, will you wrestle with that? And while you wrestle, we're going to sing this song that's called Broken Vessels. It's one of my favorite songs in the world and it's just a backdrop for us to wrestle with the fact that the God of gods, the, 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 the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he is actually somebody who uses broken vessels like you and me. And so to that, we say thank you. Let's worship together.